May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. He used often to say there was only one road, that it was like a great river. Its springs were at every doorstep, and every path was its tributary. It's a dangerous business going out of your door, he used to say. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. Some interesting words, I think. Some words that could easily have been spoken or written when you think about it. It could have been written by one of the fathers of the early church. Maybe you'd expect me to be trundling some of the church fathers out again for a quote like that on this first Sunday of Lent. Um, you might know, first of all, that the Christian church was originally called the way, wasn't it, or the path, by the first Christians. And that, that quote has to do about the road, the path, the way. And secondly, that, that brief quote says something about both the Christian journey through life and the Christian journey through Lent. Each is, each is a road or a, a path of sorts, isn't it? We also know that each can be dangerous. And on each, one has to stay on one's feet in order to avoid being swept away. Now, as it turns out, uh, those words I read for you, those are actually the words of the great author J.R.R. Tolkien in his classic work, The Lord of the Rings. Anybody familiar with Lord of the Rings? Books or the movie? Maybe, maybe you've read the trilogy or you've seen it somewhere. Maybe you've seen the movies or you've seen a trailer for the movies. Lord of the Rings is a classic. I have to, if you haven't read it, uh, I'm not going to say go read it for as Lenten reading, but at some point get around to it. Do yourself a favor of having read The Lord of the Rings. I suppose it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it is a classic. Tolkien was a very devout Roman Catholic, uh, and The Lord of the Rings, uh, it, it's, it's a deeply, deeply symbolic theological work. You know, the, the themes, the teachings, and the cosmology of the Lord of the Rings, they're very, they very blatantly, blatantly reflect his Christian worldview. And in fact, and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't shy about talking about this either. Um, you know, in one of his letters, Tolkien, he wrote, The Lord of the Rings is a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, he wrote to one of his friends. There's no way of getting around it. He didn't put in any, any kind of religious system in the book. The elves didn't have their own religious church they went to, for instance, or whatever. It's all the way through. The whole of the book is permeated with Christian symbolism and, and, and theological and cosmological meaning all the way through. It deals with, with the pilgrimage and the perilous journey of the individual, the struggle between good and evil, and the, the ultimate victory of good over evil. If you read the whole trilogy as a complete work, it's almost impossible to not see what Tolkien was doing with it. It is, in essence, the view that we as Catholic Christians have of the whole of the cosmos. He's describing it there. The whole of the cosmos as Christians. And beautifully, so beautifully and so poetically, Tolkien has said it without saying it. He didn't have to come right out and say what he was saying. He said it without saying it true poetry and that quote there's only one road it's like a great river its springs are at every doorstep and every path is its tributary it's a dangerous business going out of your door you step into the road and if you don't keep your feet there's no telling where you might be swept off to 
That is the life. That's the faith. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that we embrace, isn't it? In so many ways. And so, too, it's, it's the path of Lent. I mean, albeit on a smaller scale. That's the point, though. It's a smaller scale of the whole of the Christian life. It's imperative that we attempt to hold to the path. And I tell you from experience, as I'm sure almost all of you can probably attest from your own life, lives, it's easy to fall off the path. Very easy. I first one to admit it. It's, e- it's so easy to fall off the path that leads to God. It's so easy to fall off that Godward path. And when we do, if, like Tolkien says, there's no telling where we're going to end up. If you're swept off your feet, you don't know where you're going to be swept to. That is the danger. Now, in the three pre-Lenten Sundays, if they were given to us as a time when we prepared for the journey that we were about to begin, then these first three Sundays in Lent uh, come to us as a set as well. They they speak to us of the hazards of the journey itself. In three weeks we are preparing for it. Three weeks we're hearing about the hazards of journeying now. You see, on the first, second, and third Sundays of Lent, we hear about struggles with the devil, struggles with demonic forces. And it should come as no surprise to you, really, that this particular portion of the cycle of the lectionary, uh, it's a very ancient one, it's, it's very, very old, and it was originally crafted to teach catechumens. Back in Rome, first five centuries of the church or so, teaching catechumens about the Christian life. The ancient church put these readings together to instruct those who were preparing for Easter baptism. To to show them something about what the Christian life was going to be like. To show them something about what the Christian life entails. And so it is that we get this description, really, of the road that we're traveling. It's given for catechumens, but you know who it's also good for as a reminder? Hello. Me. I hope every one of you. All of us. If we look at the gospel today, and we see Jesus being tempted three times in the wilderness, don't we? And, and this is after he's fasted for 40 days. He's been driven out into the spirit, drives him out into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days. Does this sound familiar? Hopefully it does. We've just begun our 40-day fast of Lent. Well, well, Jesus, after this strict fast of 40 days, he's been tempted three times in this account from St. Matthew's Gospel, as we also see in St. Luke's Gospel account. He's tempted three times... And it, I don't know, it's been something of a, of a fashionable pastime, I think, for scholars to, to debate what exactly is at the heart of each of these temptations. They'll go back and forth over one, you know, whether one temptation is a temptation to gluttony or whether another one is a temptation of avarice or, or whatnot. It might seem on the surface that there's something different being offered in each of the three temptations. But if we look carefully, if we look carefully, it's really something of the exact same temptation each time. But it's presented just a little differently. You know, when, when Jesus is asked by Satan if he would turn stones into bread, right? The first temptation, right? Here, he's hungry. Here's some stones. He doesn't say, okay, Jesus, if you're hungry, here's some stones. If you're hungry, turn turns to, to bread, right? He doesn't say that, does he? He says, if you're the Son of God, turn to bread. 
And when Jesus asks, or when Satan asks Jesus to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple, once again, he doesn't say, you know, unless you're scared or something, you know, or, you know, I'm trusting those angels to grab you. What does he say? He says, if you are God, go ahead, do it. And in the final temptation, when he, he asks Jesus to bow down before him, once again, it's an affront. It's an affront and a challenge to who Jesus really is. This is God. This is God. True God and true man. And he, he's, uh, Satan is saying without saying at this time, if you're God, you know, you can't be. Bow down before me and I'll give you everything. It's an affront and a challenge to who Jesus is. And Jesus resists each of these temptations and in essence... As the church fathers point out in ancient writings, in essence, each one of these is a temptation to pride. A temptation to pride. And as we've seen before, we've talked about this before, pride is the chief of the seven deadly sins, isn't it? If we ask what pride is, perhaps we then remember that it's holding a higher sense of oneself than one should. A self-aggrandizing that, that, that puffs up the self. Oh, look at me, how good I am. Look at how monumental, stupendous, and powerful I am. Look at this. That's pride, isn't it? It's to be avoided at all costs. But how is it possible, then, that Jesus, the Son of the true and living God, could ever puff himself up enough? I mean, he's God, after all, right? Hmm. Well, our Lord came to teach... Well, He came to teach a lot of things. But He came to teach humility, didn't He? He came in humility to teach humility. He was born in humility. He lived in relative obscurity. He taught humility in all that He lived, and all that He preached. And in His passion, and in His death on the cross, He taught, embraced, and embodied the virtue of humility. There was no room... For this man who is also God, there was no room for him to be puffed up. No room for him to puff himself up. This was the teaching of his resisting temptation. And this is the teaching for us today, of course, here as it comes to us in the first Sunday of Lent. The countering virtue to pride, as you know, is humility, isn't it? And that's perhaps the most important thing to be learned, I think, by a catechumen in the church, isn't it? Perhaps the most important thing we can remind ourselves as well daily about. If one wishes to walk the way of the cross, well, one does so by embracing what? By embracing servanthood, by embracing a self-emptying love for one another, a self-giving for God, and by embracing humility, by embracing the role of the servant, by imitating Christ in, in, in lowliness, imitating Him in service of others, in emptying ourselves of all those things of this world and of this life and filling up with the life in Christ, filling up with the Holy Ghost, filling up with the things of the kingdom. It's all those things that, that we, we pray this past week and you see again this week in the handout, the prayer of St. Ephraim the Syrian, isn't it? It's what all those ancient things, that ancient prayer, it's all those things that it's asking for, really. Emptying out all this stuff that doesn't get us anywhere and filling us up with Christ-like virtues, chief among them, humility. That perhaps, perhaps that's just the best way to navigate this dangerous and rocky road that we travel. As we said, said in past weeks, we may try to supply the, 
the charity necessary for the trip, low though our own reserves of that commodity might be at any given point, I say that from experience, perhaps, just perhaps, this gift of humility, this gift given by God, this gift of humility, might allow us to defend against the incursions of the evil one. It's easy for Satan to get in to those who puff themselves up. Oh, so easy for him to tempt when somebody swells the pride. So very easy. So is it that much harder for him to assault those who have adopted the Christ-like virtue of humility. Those who put on that, that robe, that spirit of humility and that spirit of servanthood. I don't think Satan can, can stand a servant. You know. He despises a servant spirit. So let us pray that as we journey, as we journey, that we might stay unspotted from the world and safe from all the trials of that open road, that open road that can be so dangerous. For there is only one road. It's like a great river. Its springs are at every doorstep and every path is its tributary. It's a dangerous business going out of your door. You step into the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling where you might be swept off to. Step carefully, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's watch our step. Always through Lent, throughout all of our life in Christ. Pray continually. Pray continually for the guidance of the holy and life-giving Spirit and for that direction and that aid that comes from Him alone by the merits of Jesus Christ our Lord, who with the Father in the unity of the same holy and life-giving Spirit lives and reigns ever one God, world without end. Amen.